0: So, we look at other people's money on a Monday evening. Kevin Lings, this evening, the chief economist at Stan Lib. Are you ready to reveal yourself, Kevin Lings? (laughs) Evening,
1: Bruce. How are you doing?
0: Yeah, I'm doing better than you, I think, uh, because now for an economist you have to now speak facts and not just give opinions and, you know, know, on the one hand, yes, and on the other hand, no, because this goes down to the nitty-gritty of what makes up Kevin Lings and his attitude towards money. First, a little bit of a history lesson, if you could. Uh, Where did Kevin Lings grow up? Oh, Kevin Lings grew up in all different parts of
1: South Africa. I was born in Johannesburg at the time my parents uh, lived in Johannesburg. I was actually born in... Hillbrow Hospital, can you believe it? Hillbrow Hospital. Um, and from there, uh, because my parents l- worked on the mines, my dad was part of the gold mining community. He moved all over the country. And as a consequence, I grew up all over the country. Uh, eventually, I guess I ended up in boarding school in, down in the, the Eastern Cape in Queenstown. Sorry. And uh, went to university at Witz in Johannesburg and have pretty much been in Johannesburg since then. So uh, different places, the, the Virginia in the Free State, uh, Cartonville,
0: all different parts of the country, all different small mining towns, if you like. And in those days, because you're, you're not a spring chicken, um, uh, they were, they were <laughs> quite, <laughs> not to be too rude about it, but I mean, they were, quite, they were bustling and vibrant and you know, very prosperous yes. communities, actually.
1: They were uh, phenomenal communities, and obviously the mines at that point had uh, a huge amount of money, which they were quite willing to squander, I thought. Uh, Even at that young age, I could see the excesses that were going on. There was no hint of the mines trying to put money away for a a rainy day or to uh, be a little bit more conservative. And uh, I guess the mining community lived large. It was uh, it was uh, very hierarchical. It was all about your position and title and where you lived within the community. And um, uh, The mine provided everything. The mine provided housing, sporting facilities, uh, community-type facilities. Uh, and I suppose if you were fortunate enough to do quite well in that environment, it, it wasn't a bad lifestyle. Obviously, um, it then became excessive. And as the gold industry came under pressure and the price came under pressure, it started to actually unravel quite quickly. And I think part of that was the mines hadn't prepared for it. They, uh, I, I think assumed that the party would just continue on almost forever and they lived as if that was the case. So it was a good, it was a good environment. It was a safe environment to grow up in. Uh, but there was always the risk that you were going to be trapped. We always spoke about being trapped within that community that you couldn't break out of it because essentially you were living in a small town and the risk was that you then uh, got educated in that town, got a job in that town and you kind of stayed in the town, but the town itself wasn't necessarily going to develop enormously. So. It was about trying to break out of that uh, town and, and develop a different uh, a different life for yourself. And I think that became quite a, a, a critical driver, uh, certainly for myself, uh, to try and change things.
0: Um, was that what sparked your interest in economics? I mean, watching this development, because, I mean, there's uh, these wonderful microcosms, these wonderful sort of miniature case studies of excess and exuberance and... Uh, this, this belief that, you know, all good things last forever when simply it's not feasible that they do. Is that what sparked your interest in the study of economics?
1: Bruce, I'd like to say yes, but no. we would make a better story uh, if you would, no, think, so let's go back. I, I think I could recognize the excess, but, you know, in terms of, I, I didn't want to, I, initially I, I had no designs on being an economist. I wanted to be a chartered accountant, and if you said to me at the time, why do you want to be a chartered accountant? I had no idea. I knew I wanted to be in finance. I knew I liked the, the world of money. Um, but what particularly I wanted to do in that world, I didn't really have any idea. And so when I spoke to people, they said, well, you've got to be a chartered accountant. That's the profession. And so off I said to try and become a chartered accountant. And uh, after a, a number of years of going down that route and, um, working uh, part-time at uh, auditing during holiday times at auditing firm, etc. I realized that for me, it was utterly boring. <laughs> and so all the time that I was doing accounting and studying uh, all those sorts of subjects in the background, I was loving economics, uh, but I never focused on it until I got to the point of having to make much more of a career decision. And at that point, I decided, you know what? Um, I don't want to go. I don't want to do this. I love economics. I want to go back to university and study economics. And it cost me an absolute fortune to do that. At the time I had a, a bursary from an auditing firm. Uh, they asked me to pay back that bursary within seven days. What? Uh, it was a very expensive decision, uh, but a very thankful decision. And, and,
0: uh, I just couldn't see myself being an accountant. Explain the economics of that decision, if you would. I mean, it's, a, it's such an interesting study because here you are as a young person. You're going, this is not my career path. I need to cut my losses. I need to buy myself out of this contract because that's what it is. And I then need to find the funds to then take a completely different path. You've got to have a very strong commitment to change under those circumstances.
1: That's right. I think it's it's a difficult thing to do Um I think a lot of people end up in a university or, a, or some sort of technical college in a, in a subject that they don't really have a passion for. At some point, it seemed like the right thing to do, but as it's gone on, they haven't really developed a high interest in it, but they persist with it for various reasons. Some of it may be social reasons or financial reasons. At the end, they get this qualification, and now they find themselves in that, in that career set, and they don't want to be there. And, and yet they they persist with it, and in the end, uh, it's not all that satisfying. and perhaps down the line they've got to make a more radical change. So I'm not suggesting it's easy. And in my case, it was financially incredibly difficult because I had I'd had a bursary for four years. I had to pay back four years of money in seven days. Fortunately, I' very diligent in the time that I'd been at university, which sounds odd. Um, but I had saved a, a significant amount of money through every time I worked for the auditing firm, uh, and it took all of the money I had. Uh, and when I went back to to university, I was essentially broke. I was really struggling, but I can remember distinctly that feeling of, thank goodness I did this. It, it was such a major relief that I didn't have to persist with accounting. It doesn't mean that... Um, I don't recognize the value of being a chartered accountant or the value of the role, et cetera. But for me personally, it just didn't mm-hmm. grab me. And as soon as I started to focus more fully on economics, I fell in love with it. And, and from there it's become, I would say it's my, it's my hobby. It's my interest. Uh, it happens to be my profession. If I look at the books I read uh, after hours, the economics books, uh, it's kind of part of me. And, and I just, every now and again, I think back to that and think how different my life would have turned out had I persisted with the accounting role and and just persisted with that for financial reasons. And so it's, 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 it's a lesson that's difficult to learn, but it's something I think people need to reflect on and maybe make the decision, make that hard decision as quickly as possible.
0: I mean, do you, would you put it down to that being the smartest financial decision you ever took? I mean, yes, it hurt. Yeah. Yes, it was painful. But if you believe in long term reward, um, it, was it the smartest decision you've done, you've taken? Yeah, I would say it was the smartest. Uh, obviously, it was
1: on the face of it a very silly decision because you had to pay back four years sure. of, of uh, bursary money. So uh, that was an expensive decision. Uh, but it it gave you that freedom it gave you that choice to to do what you really wanted to do and and to me that's critical. A lot of the times you can get involved in various ventures or, or elements of debt or you get yourself locked into something and and as soon as you do that it's taken away that choice that absolute freedom and I think the the more choice you can have the the better off you are, the more comfortable you feel the more calm you'll feel inside. So for me, yes, I would regard it as my best, uh, ultimately, my best financial decision uh, for over the longer term. And obviously, initially, it was tough because to get a job in economics in South Africa is very difficult. There are not that many positions. Uh, people only wanted to employ me in an accounting role because I had worked in accounting and i studied accounting. So it was not just as simple as, well, let's get a qualification. You, know, you had to try and work at really trying to get into the profession. So there has to be some sort of passion or persistence around it. But looking back at it now, I'm just so thankful I've made that decision.
0: Um, when you sort of reflect uh, on the decision and the fact that, you know, you, you took this big bet um, and then – Got to the workplace and said, "No, no, we like your accounting skills." Did you think to yourself, "What have I done? What have I done?" Was there a moment of regret? No, there wasn't a moment of regret. There was a, a feeling
1: of, um, "I've got to put up with this accounting uh, role until I can get a break." And 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 initially, that's what I did. I worked I worked at a, the small business corporation, and I was a business analyst, and I was. I was working on balance sheets and income statements for small companies, evaluating whether the small business was potentially viable, uh, and so that role was very much aligned to being uh, an accountant. And a lot of the work I was doing at the time ended up being typical accounting type work. Uh, yet I didn't, and I knew it. I didn't have a, a, a real serious passion for it. And for me, it was, it wasn't, it wasn't a regret. It was. Well, let me persist with this, waiting for an opportunity, uh, recognizing that the opportunities were were very slim at that stage. Uh, but eventually an opportunity came along and, and I've been in economics ever since. So uh, I think it was just this belief that something will materialize that didn't get me too down about the role.
0: But again, that experience at the Small Business Corporation is now, I would argue, invaluable in really understanding what South Africa needs and just how hard it is for small businesses to function, operate, exist, to be profitable, to be sustainable. I mean, that's a critical part of our future, possibly. Oh,
1: yeah. I think it's an area that we haven't in this country, we haven't done well at at all, no matter where you look at it, either through the banking system or through development agencies. Um, I think it's something we've let ourselves down on. And part of it has to do with being very clear on what it is that you're trying to achieve with this. Are you a development agency or are you a profit maximizing firm? Um, And if you're a profit maximizing firm like a bank, it's very difficult to really do small business uh, lending in any country because Ultimately, you're just not willing to take on the level of risk that's required in order to actively develop. And if you're a development agency, then you've got to be clear on what is that criteria, and and everybody that approaches must very must be very clear on what it is that you're going to base your decision on. So, it's there's no there's no element of surprise in that respect. And I don't think we've done either of those uh, very well. And it's a massive gap in terms of trying to get people into business. And when I look around at uh, the informal sector of this economy, I, I recognize that there's a huge amount of potential entrepreneurs, but their ability to formalize that a little bit is incredibly limited because the system is not really available to them. And even now, uh, that system is is unavailable. Just understanding who you can approach, uh, what they're going to need, how the process works, I think it's 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 light years away for many people who want to try and, and move their small business forward. So, and when you consider that many of the successful countries in the world, perhaps even all of them, have a very strong, vibrant, small business, family business type element to it. And that's what ultimately creates the jobs. And I think it's when I look at South Africa, uh, small business is completely excluded. Mm-hmm. I mean, even take net lag. We talk about the net lag uh, policy document that's big business talking to big labor and big government there's no small in any of that there's no small labor there's no small business um, small business is completely excluded from that discussion so I don't think in this country we pay nearly enough attention to it
0: we don't take I mean we, we talk we pay lip service to it but we don't uh, we, we're really not willing to to commit to the process give me a sense of your failures I would like to know because I mean you you are human if I cut you I'm sure you would bleed red Um, your worst money decision ever your best money decision was expensive and cost you a lot to get out of the contract that you had with an accounting firm which paid for four years of your accounting bursary you have passion for economics you decided to follow that path best money decision that cost you money if that's your best financial decision I want to know your worst
1: it's easy, uh, Bruce. It's, it was gold. I, I, oh, I had this thought you in see, my head. You,
0: know? <laughs> you understood it. Be- oh, my goodness. But you grew up. Because a- I
1: understood it. I lived in a mining town. I, I understood gold mining. My parents lived in the town. I'd, I'd watched the whole system unfold. I, understood, I, I listened to the gold price every day, of course. Um, and I figured, <laughs> for some reason, that I knew, I knew a lot about the gold price. And so, you know, I made various decisions to invest in gold pretty much at the peak. Um, and, and I kept believing that somehow this would turn around and, and obviously it never did. And I invested in, I even invested in gold mines that eventually went out of business. So, you know, it's this not understanding uh, the basis for the investment. It was more just, I think I know something about this because I'm associated with this industry. And, and over time, that's clearly not going to work out well. It takes a little bit more than that. So uh, eventually, I abandoned any thoughts of being an expert on, on gold and the gold price. And even today, I kind of just accept that it will do what it will do. And I don't even try and
0: forecast it. I mean, it's, it's like the, you know, the person who says, well, I like eating. I like going to restaurants. You know what I should do? I should open up a restaurant. Um, Exactly. (laughs) You do have an expensive hobby, though, um, and your hobby is building watches from scratch. And you buy components and you build watches. You are a – and I I think that's possibly your therapy uh, on a daily basis. You sit down with one of those little monocle thingies um, and you take lots of fiddly little bits and pieces – and create masterpieces bits of craft in the in the watch industry does that make you some money or is that just a labor of love no it's you know
1: it's a, it's it's a hobby it's um, i try and make it pay for itself because it's actually as you say it's expensive all the components have to literally 100% imported uh, there's almost nothing available in this country so it's a difficult industry or subsector to get involved in Uh, Lots of things go wrong when you try and import into this country. So you have that added complication to it. And and it turns out that the watch needs all the parts. You know, when you fixed your car and at the end you were left with some spare parts, but somehow the car still worked. Well, a watch isn't like that. If you've got spare parts left over, the watch doesn't work. And so even if it's just one little part that you never got, it, it never arrived in the package, whatever happened, you just can't complete it. So It's a process, but what I, what I think I like, first of all, I like watches, uh, for whatever reason, but what I like is that, is that idea of assembling this watch and it working that, that when you, when you try and get it to work and it works, that is incredibly satisfying. So, so all you're doing is you're taking a whole lot of components, uh, over a hundred, two hundred components and you're putting them all together in a very strict fashion. Um, and you're not going to know whether this is right uh, for quite a while, and then you, you try and make it work, and it, and it kind of it starts to work, and you set the timing. Chook, sure, that is satisfying. So to me, it's an escape. It's just a it's a way of zoning out from the world around me. It's a way of just relaxing. You get immersed in 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 the micro of, of this watch and is, and is the that task p- of trying yeah. to and the challenge of trying
0: to get this to work. It, it, there's far more precision in it. There's far more predict, predict, predictability. When you wind up a watch, it ticks, and you know that it's going to keep time because you've built it properly. Economic forecasting is a lot less predictable, I suppose. That's right. It, it is
1: one of those things, you know. It's such a. you write reports in economics, and does that really add value? Who finds it valuable? Forecasts get wrong, etc. So you you're living in a in a fairly Murky world in that sense. It's, it's not an absolute. Whereas a watch, you're 100% right. It is an absolute. And I did, I can remember doing a course online, um, through the United States. And when I started the course, I was thinking, okay, well, what's going to be the test here? How do you know if you've passed this course? And, and the test is, well, does the watch work? If the watch works, you've passed the course. And I, and I like that there was, it, there was no, Judgment. There was no subjectivity to it. And in economics, it's all subjective. It's all where you come from, what you think is right. Uh, whereas in a watch, it's it's very clear. It's mechanical and it either works or it doesn't work.
0: He works very hard, does our Kevin Lings. Kevin Lings, he is the chief economist at Stanlib. Other people's money this evening. Other people's money and their hobbies this evening uh, with Kevin Lings. Always fascinating to chat to Kevin. Kevin, thanks for your time this evening here on The Money Show.